As the government searches for solutions to gloomy economic forecasts, and with Brexit continuing to dominate the legislative timetable, pensions were not expected to feature prominently in this autumn budget. And so it has proved. In a speech that was devoid of significant change for the pensions industry, Chancellor Philip Hammond signalled his intention to facilitate pension fund investment in innovative firms, while issues such as pensions tax relief were left well alone. My name is Alex Warnicola-Saria, and to discuss the budget and its consequences for pensions, I'm joined by Ruth Bamforth, Director at law firm Walker Morris, and David Brooks, Pensions Technical Director at Broadstone Corporate Benefits. Ruth, from a pensions perspective, are you happy with this budget? Well, yes. In short, I think we need a period of stability from a pensions tax perspective. We've had so many changes over the last few years. I think what we've got at the moment really needs to bed down. So I think we were very happy that some of the rumours about more changes to pensions tax relief didn't actually come come through. But I suspect for people who are actually saving, it was uh, nice for them to hear that the lifetime allowance is actually being increased for the first time in I don't know how many years, increased in line with CPI. So, yes, I think it was, was good. Sure. I mean, I guess it's as much a story as to what didn't make it in, David. I mean, what was your take on the budget? Uh, yeah, very similar to, to Ruth's in that um, it was so quiet on pensions, it was almost surreal. So while he was talking, I think he mentioned pensions twice in the whole budget speech, and I was just waiting, waiting for the thing to happen, and then, and then nothing happened. So, I mean, the lifetime ISA, I thought I was convinced even to the last minute that he was going to say something on Lifetime ISA because it seemed to chime in with the intergenerational unfairness issues that that is getting a lot of press in the lead-up and also the housing issues. So so improving the Lifetime ISA seemed almost too obvious to even talk about that he would do something about and then he didn't do anything about it. So um, I was slightly surprised he didn't do anything about that. But again, like like Ruth has said, I was quite relieved that, um, that he left the annual allowance and all those sort of technical things alone, really, for now. Sure. I mean, Ruth, is there anything you'd like to have seen included in the budget? Actually, I think the main thing was just a period of stability. It's very easy to say we can make this, that and the other very, very technical change. And there's always things you can think about which might be useful. But actually, what's happened since we got the new pensions tax regime in 2006 is that it has become increasingly complex. Virtually every year we've seen massive change to the requirements and when anybody's found a potential loophole good bad or indifferent the government has then sought to legislate so actually a period of bedding down is 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 actually really really good they have of course said that they're going to go ahead with the uh, changes in terms of master trust registration that was trailed earlier in the year where dormant companies will not be able to register of course, naturally, the loophole with that is um, you can set up a master trust with a with a sort of trading company and then automatically change it to something dormant. Uh, the devil will be in the detail as to whether or not that would actually be be possible or not. But I, I do think a period of stability, especially as the government is talking about the necessity for people saving for retirement, is actually really important. Too much uncertainty doesn't actually help people know where they should be saving at a time when auto-enrolment has virtually been rolled out and there'll soon be talk about actually increasing auto-enrolment contributions. Sure. I, I think you know, I mean, what Philip did raise is the idea of investing in patient capital, um, which for those who don't know, is essentially investing in innovative firms, startups, 
Uh, this is something that's rumbled on for a while. The government closed its consultation in September on this, but also we had the miners report back in 2001. Uh, looking for ways to lower barriers uh, for institutional investors to invest in startups. Uh, David, do you think that patient capital is a suitable investment uh, for pension schemes? That's quite a difficult question uh, to mm. answer. Um, I think in general, pension schemes appreciate the government's um, ambition to get some, get their hands on some of those assets. I mean, we hear there's like £2 trillion worth of money sitting in pension schemes and it's going to be sitting there for a long time. And so, so the government would dearly love to have that used for something else. So I can understand the government's point of view, and I think a lot of trustees would be very sympathetic. You know, There's a lot of stuff about um, ESG and about schemes being socially aware and all those sort of things, and this could tick a lot of boxes in if they can do something good for the general society. So I think, I think a lot of pension schemes will be interested in this. However, there seems to be a lot more questions and answers at the moment. Um, the government's consultation raises quite a few of the issues that, that a lot of people will have with it, and their response is slightly under and I think the regulator's got, got a difficult job in making it attractive to trustees. I mean, least of all, it's the liquidity issues. You're talking about startup businesses as well, so the risks of those things um, are, are slightly unknown. And so trustees generally are quite conservative with a small C, and so putting their, their money into something they're not really too sure what they're going to get out at the end of it is... Um, is a really big question for them to answer. Sure, and the, the pensions regulator will soon give guidance mm -hmm. um, on this, and the Treasury setting up a working group of fund managers and institutional investors to really pro try to achieve progress on this issue. I mean, Ruth, what kind of guidance will schemes require for investing in patient capital? I think it'll be very interesting to see what guidance the regulator comes out with. When you look at the guidance which is currently in place for investment, it's all talking about the integrated risk management system. So saying, what is your approach to your employer covenant? How does then that fit with your technical provisions for scheme funding? How well funded is your scheme? How quickly will you get your recovery plan, assuming your scheme is in deficit, to get your scheme up to full funding? And the regulator's been very keen recently to investigate what's going on on scheme funding to make sure that more money is being put into pension schemes. So this will sit a little bit in a, quite an interesting fashion when you start thinking about investment, as David says, in maybe more risky investment, things which are illiquid. So how does this sit with private sector defined benefit schemes which are of lots of different sizes. Now clearly very very large schemes are likely to be in a better place to invest in this way because they already have some very very sophisticated investment and some investment which can be quite illiquid. Smaller end of the market may be a little bit more difficult. Whether it might be more of interest to local government pension schemes we'll have to wait and see but it's quite a tightrope I think, for the pensions regulator to walk down in terms of its guidance, because up to date, it's been you must diversify, you must consider very carefully your liquidity against your cash flow, how strong is your employer, how short is your recovery plan. So I think it's quite a difficult message for the regulator to work out where it comes to. Um, in, in, in looking at providing guidance on this issue. Sure, I mean, it's a split between DB and DC, um, particularly the, the, you talked about pricing, uh, mm. the illiquidity for DC schemes. And I understand that DC you know, require that daily pricing, 
um, and this is a problem for in terms of investing in patient capital. What can we do maybe to uh, change change the field a bit and you know make it easier for DC to invest? I don't know how they'll fix the, mm. the pricing issue. Um, I think the DC issue is is even something more complicated because a lot of people will be in a default fund, and the trustees will have to construct a default fund. Um, they might be legislated to, they might be compelled to do something, but that might be something that has to sit to the side of the, the default fund, and the members might have to make an option to go into this illiquid infrastructure fund, whatever it is on the, on the side. Um, and I think when we know about members and pension schemes, they're not all that keen on jumping out from the default fund. And so it, it starts becoming quite a dwindling um, sum of money that they'll get from the DC side of things, unless they're people who are very young and can be encouraged to do it in some way. Um, or they're very old and they're already in some kind of retirement, you know, decumulation phase and they know kind of what they're doing with their money. Anyone in the middle that might want to transfer or want to do something else, I think they'll be very nervous about going to something like this. Well, you can read our coverage of both the budget and of patient capital on www.pensions-expert.com. Thank you both, Ruth and David, and thank you for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.